Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name is Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. And we realize that whenever Reformation has happened in the history of the church, it's messy. So we're taking time to have conversations with pastors throughout the CRC to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to ask them what needs to happen for us to see Reformation. We want to keep saying thanks to all of our faithful listeners out there. Uh, Keep up the good work. Our listenership continues to grow every week, and these conversations are spreading throughout the CRC. So keep listening and keep sharing this with people who would benefit from these conversations. We really appreciate it. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We are dropping episodes every single Monday. With all that said, let's get to this week's episode, which is part two of our conversation with Chad Steenwick. Well, you know, there's, we're seeing this, our world just implode. You know, the, the, the way it's the way it's the direction it's going and the church can can jump on board with that implosion as well, too. And we can kind of join in the same debates and we can kind of take on their their methodologies and whatnot. But but you're right. We as a church and we, we have something different. You know, we, we have a unity that is unknown by the world, you know, in Christ. Mm-hmm. And um, I was just having this conversation with a congregation member yesterday and and I said, some of this, I, th- I think we as a church need to have a pa- have patience and just kind of keep moving forward, pressing forward, because as this world is falling apart, and, and we're seeing this where the, they're eating their own today. I mean, you, you go out there and there, there's really no safe place. I mean, you can't be woke enough, you know, and all mm-hmm. these sorts of things. Um, the, the church is going to need to be this rock that is Christ, you know, in the middle of that. And so as the, as the world kind of, it seems like burns around us. Yeah. I don't want to talk about, you know, withdrawing away from the world. We still need to be there, but I think long-term we can, we can come through this as we emerge as the church, there's still a family. There's still this, this, this body of, of people who shouldn't be together in one family. I mean, there, there's no socioeconomic, biological reason why you're together necessarily but but here you are and and have that shine as a light for the glory of god and for the the furtherance of the kingdom and so i don't know i think there's something something there for us as as a church mm-hmm. yeah Agreed. and i think that yeah i think that builds on what you had mentioned earlier just as a strength of the crc is that we traditionally haven't been flashy but have just focused mm-hmm. on being being a faithful presence and if we can, I think that's a good thing um, mm-hmm. that we can just be this faithful presence in our communities, faithfully doing ministry. Because um, when you're always trying to be flashy, you're trying to jump on all these bandwagons and you're all over the place, up and down. Um, and, and a lot of people, I think, and especially doing, doing youth ministry, I recognize this in a lot of teenagers. Um, a lot of youth ministries feel like they have to have the lights and the smoke and, you know, youth pastor wearing skinny jeans and, you know, all of that in order to get the kids to come. And the kids are, most of them are get they're getting sick of it um, because they're, they're always being shown the flashy and they like coming into something that's just this faithful, consistent 
presence. And actually that's so different from what's around them that they're, they're attracted to that just uh, steadiness. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. So Um, go ahead. No, go ahead. Okay. Um, I was just going to ask Chad, I mean, I know we've been talking about some of the, the strengths of the denomination and that's normally followed up by the question of weaknesses or where you can see improvement. But I'm actually going to ask, uh, what has kind of been your involvement in the CRC? Um, I know you're obviously involved in your local church on the local level and obviously on the classical level as well. But uh, have there been other facets that you've been plugged into in the CRC in your time here? Sure. You know, um, coming out of seminary, having a co-pastor right away, so I was preaching 60% of the time. He preached 40% of the time. So that that freed me uh, to do some other things. Now, I was involved with youth ministry here, too, at the church. And so I was taking up time. But it did allow me to kind of get involved with some of the broader broader issues of the day. Um, yeah, I've been active in the classes, um, you know, served as chair of our executive team, all those kinds of things. I've been a delegate to Synod a couple times. Um was president of the CRC Loan Fund Board. So got to tie in my banking experience, you know, as, as a pastor here. So it was kind of fun for a while. But I think probably my biggest involvement has been unofficial in the CRC. Um, and, and really that started back already in 2006. So just two years after I was ordained, um, I was involved with just those by six or seven other pastors um, that had come together and we were just talking about things in the denomination. At that point in time, it was, uh, the issue was the um, form of subscription. They were looking to kind of change that. And, and the proposal that was on the table really gutted, you know, the form of subscription so that it was more of a loose kind of um, appreciation of the confessions rather than a subscription or a binding to the confessions. Mm-hmm. And so through those discussions, and there were other things that were going on in the, in the denomination at that point in time that were that were questionable, that were troubling. I know that was at the time when the Bellhar Confession was starting to come onto the stage, and okay, what was what did that mean? Where was that going to lead, and and uh, the implications of all of that? And so um, we had the six, seven pastors. We said, you know what? Let's um, let's bring in Joel Naderhood. I don't. Know if, are you guys familiar with Joel Naderhood? No, so Joel, no. um, and he's one of these guys, he, sort of. If we have rock stars in the CRC, he's a rock star in the CRC. He was the radio broadcast minister for the Back to God Hour for a number of oh, years. Oh, cool. So he he preceded uh, David Fettis on the Back to God Hour. So okay. Joel in his 90s, living in suburbs of south suburbs of Chicago. But at that point in time, he came up and he was a guy that was very well known, especially in, in tight CRC areas like, like where we are here. And... So he came up and he was just going to just speak to us about the CRC and renewal and, and what, where are we kind of just getting our place. And so he, he came to first Byron center CRC. Um, they had just built their new sanctuary, which seats about a thousand people. We put out the word, I mean, just kind of emails and that kind of stuff. That place was packed. It was a Thursday night or something like that. And this place packed out and I mean, part of it is to hear our rock star, you know, Joel Naderhood. But I mean, mm-hmm. people were interested in that, you know, what's happening in our denomination? Where where can we go forward faithfully? Well, he preached on Jeremiah um, six sixteen, um, and if you don't know that passage, it's 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 where it speaks about um, returning to the ancient paths. You know, mm-hmm. walk in this way. Mm-hmm. This is the good way to walk. 
Now, he wasn't advocating that we needed to go back to 1950 or anything like that. I know some people kind of uh, accuse those who are on the more conservative Orthodox side of wanting to do. No, he, he was talking about, you know, re return to scripture again and again. So this, this always being reformed idea. Yeah. We're, we're, we're reformed back to the word of God, back to the gospel. And so, I mean, that, that, that sermon just resonated beautifully and people just jumped on board and, and the name of his sermon was the returning church. And so mm -hmm. as we were working together, we just said, well, we don't have a name. Let's just use the name of his sermon. So that's how the, the, the name, the returning church came to be. So it, it had mm -hmm. very little thought into it. It was just kind of thrown out there. And um, so really through that group and then, and then what was, what was such a blessing is that as that group kind of morphed and changed and did different things over the course of years, it never was formalized. It was just sort of a group of pastors and different pastors kind of came into it over the course of time and people kind of left involvement, but it was a way to just develop a fellowship within the CRC and you know, watching the fruit of that now 15 years later after that or get going on 15 years. It, it, you know, to see the, the connections that, you know, pastors and congregations and, um, you know, office bearers have been able to develop in the last 15 years has been phenomenal. Yeah. Because I think we get this, this, this Elijah complex, you know, yeah. you're sitting there, you're like, oh, I'm the only one. There's no one else that's faithful. And then you look around and, and you really start to look and you see here, there, everywhere else are these these pastors and these members and these elders and these deacons that are just eager to, to preach the gospel, to, to follow the word of God, to seek the glory of God. And, you know, they're not caught up in all of the things that so often make the front pages of our denominational publications and, and all of those sorts of things. And so, um, so my involvement has been in with, with that group over the course of time as it's taken on different shapes and forms and it's, it's allowed me to get to know just a lot of uh, people across the denomination. And it's, so that's been a huge blessing. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I never knew how that all began. I, I hadn't heard of it until I started in seminary. Mm. Um, so about 2013, but um, I had a couple friends in seminary who told me you got to join this, this group um, because it, they said it was their lifeline. Um, through wow. throughout seminary because they felt like they you know they had that kind of Elijah feeling um, through through their seminary experience and they said I, I could go here and know that there were other men in the CRC who were faithful to God's word and confessions and and uh, who were thinking like me and and this was really it was really helpful for them so yeah I think it's been a huge blessing um, to the CRC for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree. And I think um, yeah, there's been times where, you know, some of the discussions we've had have gone off the rails here or there. And yeah, you, you bring that back. And, um, but, but overall, the, the, the purpose of, and it's really mostly now contained in a Facebook group that, that's discussing things. And out of that Facebook group, there gets to be uh, discussions about other things. We gather here or there for different things as, as the agendas of Synod kind of come along. Um, so right now, um, probably the involvement that I have that's most active is with a nameless steering committee. We don't have a name for the whole thing yet, but um, it, it's sort of related to the returning church, but it's a different set. Um, 
because it's, it's more focused on responding to the human sexuality report um, that's mm. sitting before us. And yeah, and how do we respond to that? And, and what are some of the, the goals that we would, we would like to see in the CRC related to that human sexuality report? Um, knowing that this is certainly not the core of the issues we have as a denomination, it's, it's a symptom but it's the symptom that's on the table today that needs to be treated. It needs to be dealt with and yeah. needs to be understood. And so that's kind of the focus of the steering committee that we've put together. And so, you know, we've been meeting, um, we've been gathering people via zoom. And um, again, I, I'm amazed at the response to these zoom meetings. Um, we've been able to have, you know, Dr. Cooper from emeritus from the seminary come and speak to us. Uh, Matt Tuninga has been able to come and speak to us as well, too. And this helps us understand the report, but also understand some of the ramifications. And those discussions have been very fruitful. Um, they're confusing at times. We don't know exactly what's what should be next, but um, it's been wonderful to see people impassioned about this. And one of the great things that I'm seeing about the human sexuality report is it's forcing people um, out of sort of a middle ground. You know, I'm seeing that those that, that maybe didn't want to identify as one end of the spectrum or the other, and, I, and I, I don't like the labels either as much as anybody else does, but hey, they're, they're a reality, I think. Yeah. Um, but it's forcing mm -hmm. people to say, you know, I, I just can't roll along with everything in the denomination. Local option is, is not an option always, <laughs> you know, it's not the mm -hmm. way we need to move forward. So that's been a that's been a good uh, good part of this last kind of go around with the steering committee and what's happening there. Yeah, I'd love your thoughts, Chad. You had mentioned that some of the issues coming up around the sexuality report are kind of symptoms of a of a maybe a deeper issue. Um, what would you say that deeper issue is? You know, I think it comes back to the you know inspiration and authority of Scripture. Um, we have. We have a different interpretation of what scripture is. And yeah, I mean, there's two camps. There's probably a plethora of camps of the way people are interpreting scripture, but we don't have that commonality anymore. And so even as we have these conversations, we can talk to each other, but the conversations don't make sense anymore because we're coming from such different angles. You know, I was I was uh, kind of watching a, a discussion that was happening in a different forum recently. And, you know, a couple of those that were on the more progressive side are just saying, you know, we, we really would just like everybody to be able to do what they want to do. And, and would that be satisfactory to those who are conservative in the denomination? We'll let them do their thing. We can do our thing. And then we'll just kind of keep moving on together. And um, they, they could not see why those who were of a more conservative orthodox bent do not see that as even a possibility that there can be two positions on human sexuality, that there can be two positions and there can be kind of local options. Each congregation can decide for themselves. You know, they say, we, you know, we did it with women in office and it worked, you know? And I, I think I would argue that it's simply not working. I, I don't think it has mm -hmm. worked in our denomination. I think we, we, we fake that it does. We try to convince ourselves that it does, but when it comes down to it, it really has not worked. We have not been able to maintain two positions as a denomination. You have to shove one to the side. And so, you know, I think 
because you can't even talk anymore. You know, it's, it's because we have such a different understanding of how to interpret scripture or what the role of scripture is. You know, um, what does infallibility, even inerrancy, what do those things mean? We don't have a common understanding of that within our denomination. And so that's, that's really festering into all of these different things that we're seeing. Human sexuality being what's up front and center, but I think we would all understand that, you know, what we've been wrestling with, with penal substitutionary atonement is, is much more mm-hmm. foundational, you know, yeah. to who we are and to our faith. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think you're right. And it it, it really is hard to see a, a path, a unified path forward when we've got such a an ununified vision of scripture. And that's, uh, I mean, how, yeah, you're right. We It's hard to even have a conversation right now because we just talk past one another because um, it's, it's almost like world, you know, just complete different worldviews as well. We're seeing the world differently and we're trying to make arguments and they just have no bearing on the other side because we're just seeing things so differently. And yet, um, I think you're right too. Part of that, um, I, I don't think the answer is for us to necessarily go back to um, and do another study report on our view of authority of scripture or anything like that. Um, what I've been seeing recently, not only in the CRC, but in other denominations is the importance of um, nailing down the particulars of how we interpret scripture. And so, cause some, um, cause everybody, I think in the CRC, I think every pastor, even the progressive or conservative, they'd say, yeah, we hold to the ultimate authority of scripture. Um, we hold to the whatever. And then, and then you have to say, well, how about here? <laughs> right. And so how about on penal substitutionary atonement? We need to address this issue and how do, what does scripture say about this? And then how about here on, on sexuality? And so mm-hmm. we have to address some of these specifics in order to kind of nail down um, our understanding of how scripture is interpreted in this, you know, how scripture is infallibly interpreted in this instance and in this instance and in this instance yeah it seems like it's going to be a constant process well and just in all reality we need to be up front and say there are certain things that we can't see as negotiable uh there are certain things that we can't just agree to disagree on but still uh do it all in the name of unity i i think you're exactly right we need to be taking a stand and uh really just proclaiming what uh, our heritage has from the very beginning, the faithful once and for all delivered to the saints and, and just hold fast to these truths. Yeah, amen. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. Um, if I've ever talked to anybody who, who has thought that the taking the, you know, the dual stance on women's ordination, anybody who's thought that that has worked out well is usually an egalitarian. Right. <laughs> um, I don't know very many complementarians who went, who have been, yeah, this has been awesome um, for us. Most of them felt like that was, um, that was just, I, that it wasn't a compromise position. It was a compromise in, in a bad way saying we're going to move down this road towards um, just full out egalitarianism. Um, we're, we're functionally right now as a denomination, egalitarian, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, the complementarians are allowed to be here is what it feels like. You're allowed to be here. You're allowed to hold your position, but functionally our denomination f- is different. And so th- that would be the exact same thing or worse that would happen around the human sexuality report as well. 
um, if we said you could take a local option, it would be, we would be an affirming denomination. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I don't know, did you see in the banner recently, there was a review <sighs> of a book. Um, Willie, you probably, you sound like you saw that. I don't remember the yeah. name of the book, but in the review they were talking about, it was, it was about, um, it was about egalitarian women's ordination, those sorts of things. But in, they were talking about complementarian women. They're, they kind of fall into two categories. Um, I don't remember exactly what they were, but they were both derogatory. It was, it was one like you're just either dumb or you're oppressed. Um, yeah, and, yeah. And so I know that's being a very that, that's I'm not fairly representing it 100 percent. But it's interesting. So um, we have a women's ministry core team in our church. And so I, I, I sent that article, the, the, the full the full um, review is on the banner online. The, the printed banner just has a summary of it, but it does include those 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 points of complementarian women. And so I handed it, I passed that off to the women in our church from this core team, and they were just livid, you know, about being pigeonholed that way. They said, they said that this author doesn't understand complementarianism at all, and certainly doesn't understand complementarian women. And so they, they said, why are our voices always suppressed? I mean, that's the one voice in our denomination that is never allowed to speak, complementarian hmm. women. You that's know, a good um, point. It was interesting, back in the in Synod 2008, that was the first year that women were seated at Synod as delegates. And so then they had a vote to get rid of the, the women's um, women advisors. And I, I got up and I spoke against getting rid of women advisors because I said, where, where will our complementarian women have a voice? You know, they're not coming as elders. They're not coming as deacons because they're convicted otherwise from scripture, you know, and, and they live fully and joyfully into that complementarianism. Um, but we could hear from them. We could learn as, as women advisors. And I had one, um, one woman who was a delegate come up to me afterwards and she said, she says, I never thought about that, that there would be women who are complementarian. And I just, and there are, and there, Whoa. yeah, exactly. And so um, I think that's, that's, that's an important thing. So our denomination, you know, interestingly on that banner article, if you go to the online version, they, they do now have a, they, they put a kind of a disclaimer at the top and they say, you know, we are a denomination that holds the two positions. And yet that article stands there just <clears throat> completely slamming complementarianism. And so we're, we're not living this out well. We're not living it out well no. at all. No, and there's just a blindness to some of this too. I remember talking to um, different people, you know, they're, they're working on celebrating, you know, 25 years of women's ordination in the CRC and wanting to do this big thing at Synod. And, and I thought, man, for most complementarians, it feels like, like a slap in the face. It's not, we don't feel like this is something to celebrate. And so if we're going to try to walk together in this, um, why would you kind of rub it in our face? You know, it, it just, mm -hmm. we, there's a way you could do it, I, I suppose, but, but it, we're not doing it well. And, and, and we haven't, and uh, we won't in the future either. That's, this is partly why the, the local option for, and, and let's be honest, the, the issues around sexuality are way more foundational than uh, mm -hmm. than women's ordination. Absolutely, um, they are. Th that's yep. why we're still in the CRC, right? I mean, if, if I would have thought that women's ordination was that foundational, I would have been gone a long time ago. Correct. You, know, you go back to some of those study committee reports, and and 
No, I, I think they, they did a, a valiant attempt at defending egalitarianism from scripture. And I think that was probably the best attempt that I've ever seen. I still think it was wrong. Um, but when the, the study committee report we had laid it out there. Now, unfortunately, the way we've acted upon it has not stood upon that biblical interpretation of egalitarianism. It's become more of a social construct. And you come now to the human sexuality and many people who are advocating for, you know, full inclusion of LGBTQ within the church, you know, they, they acknowledge that scripture, there is no scriptural foundation for it. Now, some try, you know, try to cast aside the six verses or whatever they, they're trying to do, but, but there is, there's a good segment that says there, there really isn't scriptural support for this. We want to do it anyway, because we believe this is where the spirit is moving us today. Right. And so, so we don't even have that same commonality we had over women's ordination at that point, at that point in time, which I, I, I'm not, believe me, I, I don't believe that that's equal, but we don't even have that today. And so this, yeah. there's no way that this could go forward in a productive way. Yeah, I agree. Do you, mm -hmm. uh, um, we, we kind of typically end these podcasts by asking a question, you know, do you, do you think the CRC is worth saving? And, um, but, but I may, I might change that a little bit. Do you see a future, um, for the CRC? Do you think it will be saved or, or, or what are your thoughts about the future of the CRC? You know, I have great hope for the CRC only because I have hope in our, in our Lord. But again, it's not an institutional hope. Um, the institution of the Christian Reformed Church in North America, I think there's a lot of blessing and benefit that has come out of that over the years. And we want to acknowledge that. Um, there's, there's value to it. I mean, there's physical value, assets, you know, that kind of stuff. But, but I think there's, there's the heritage and a... Um, and just a, a conviction that is in our is in our DNA still, I think, that is is worth saving. I know that's not your question here, but so so for the future, um, I, I think the future of the CRC is going to be really dependent upon the vote on this human sexuality report. Mm -hmm. I think if this human sexuality report is passed, particularly with you know uh, acknowledging the confessional status of of what we're talking about here. Um, I think from there, we have a building point again toward reformation and some and restoration. Um, so I, I think that's gonna be something that is gonna be sort of linchpin in determining future of the denomination. If that report is um, turned down, if the confessional status is stripped away from it, if it becomes some sort of compromised position, then I think we have to face the writing on the wall. I think the CRC as we know it, um, or as we have known it, is, is no longer a viable option for churches. And, and I think that's, that's one of the things we have to press for. There, there is no middle ground on this whole thing. We, the, we, we cannot have, um, there, there cannot be a compromise on this. It simply will not work. It hasn't worked in the past on other issues, and certainly it cannot work on this issue. So I think the next two years are going to be very telling for our denomination. And then once that report, if it is passed, you know, is there going to be the determination to say, okay, now this, this report actually has to live, you know, our interpretation has to actually be put forward. Are we willing to say, Neeland Avenue, if you refuse to, to repent, we're going to have to say goodbye. 
and, and, and others as well too, and, and be willing to part ways. And, and I think we have to be willing to do that. Um, if, if we're not, then we have idolized the CRC as an yeah. institution. And we're, we're worshiping that above the truth of scripture. We're worshiping, worshiping that above the gospel. And that's wrong completely. And mm. so that's, that can't be the future of, our, of the CRC. Mm. Yeah, Chad, that's a great way of putting that. And I love how you've kind of laid out the, the particulars of kind of the, the domino blocks on either end of things. And, and I appreciate that. And as we draw to a close, you're, you're kind of answering a lot of the, the inevitable questions that we ask at the end of the podcast anyway. But I'm wondering for, for those of us who are here, for our listeners, for other pastors and church leaders in our denomination and like-minded denominations, um, do you have a word of warning, encouragement, exhortation? Uh, what are some things that you think we ought to be paying attention to while we're in the trenches, so to speak? Oh, man, I think we have to, word of warning, um, I think we can't expect those that we're playing ball with in this whole, we can't expect them to play fair. I, I, I don't, I mean, un, unfortunately, we, we've seen too much of that. And now we want to we play with integrity. We need to work with integrity and truth and being honest. But we can't expect that that's going to be reciprocated. And um, I hate to say this because I, I'm talking about people that I know and family members, and I'm talking about people that, that I love um, and who, who I've grown up in the CRC with. I mean, you have the same, I'm sure, as well. Um, so that, that's hard to say, but I think we have to be, be shrewd, you know, wise as serpents and yet gentle as doves. Mm. And, and, and in the end, we have to... I think I think this I think there's a lamentableness to a win, if you want to call it a win. I mean, the the fact that there's even this battle, um, I think part of the lament is that we have taken up so much time already, even though it's minuscule compared to what other denominations have worked through. But we've taken up so much time debating things that are really not up for debate, and we've neglected the ministry that we've needed to have toward those who are struggling with, with sexuality. And, and, and that's just one area, you know, there's so much more that we've, that we've neglected because we've been distracted by these things. Uh, and yet this is a good, we, we need to, we need to go through this. This will be clarifying for our denomination. And so I, I think maybe word of encouragement, I, and this is maybe challenge as well too, but I don't want, um, I don't want anybody to be despairing if after Synod 22, um, we come to the point where this whole thing has fallen apart. The human sexuality report has been declined. You know, um, Christ is still on the throne of his church. We, we simply know better what the denomination that's called the Christian Reformed Church, we know more of its heart. We know more of what it, of what it truly is. And I think we just have to thank the Lord that, that that's being revealed to us. We're still going to pray and we're still going to press for orthodoxy here because that will glorify God. That will build His church, and so. But but there's there's no there's no sorrow or despair for us, and we have to remember that. No matter what way these votes go down the road, we cannot despair. We cannot lose heart. We have to keep pressing on and doing good and uh, and doing the work of the Lord. I think just the last the last piece of um, encouragement, and this is I come back to this all the time, 
is where, you know, where Christ promises to build his church, you know, he will build his church. So where do we want to be? We want to be on the rock that is Christ. And that's where the church is going to be built. And so continue to press your congregations, press yourself into that rock, because that's the only place that's going to stand. All of this other stuff, we have to deal with it. We have to work our way through it. But we need to press ourselves into Christ because that's the only place to stand. That's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week for our conversation with Tyler Wagenmaker. But until then, don't forget this is Christ's church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Reach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.